What's up guys, welcome to another episode of the Dream Chasing 101 podcast. Today we're going to be journeying um, over the pond, so they say, um, and chatting to uh, Rachel who's a professional golfer, but I'll leave it up to Rachel just to you know give you guys a bit of insight to who she is and, and what she does. Hey, I'm Rachel and I've been a pro like six years now. I play Sunshine Ladies Tour and over in Europe. Uh, yeah, I've had a few wins, it's been good um yeah i live in england it's pretty much me and rachel one of the questions we always ask our guests is um when you were growing up you know what did you see yourself doing and how far is it from where you find yourself right now well i started playing golf when i was four so i kind of always wanted to be like a professional golfer that was kind of always the dream and it's pretty cool that i get to live it now um hopefully one day i'll be on the lpga because that's like the ultimate goal um but yeah i think golf was pretty much all i wanted to do from when i was little and you know starting golf at such a young age were there any you know like role models inspirations that you looked you know up to especially you know being involved in the game at such a young age uh actually my role model was only ls he always has been since i was little um because my dad he's like my dad's favorite player so kind of we've always watched him play and so I kind of grew up watching him so like he's really cool and in the female side I'd probably say Annika because she's like done amazing for the game like she really revolutionized the revolutionized the women's game and so I kind of really look up to her as well for sure you know you've been a pro since 2014 if you can put in your own words, you know, how does it feel, you know, there's obviously a big shift in the women's game right now with, you know, Justin Rose, um, you know, putting together a little mini series over there in the UK. And, you know, there's a little bit more attention on the women's game right now. So how does it feel as a female golfer right now, especially over in Europe, um, obviously the LET partnering with LPGA. So just your, your overall um, comments on that. Um, well, it's really cool that we kind of get a bit of the limelight cause of, that we deserve because like, we work just as hard as the guys. And, um, and what Justin Rose has done is awesome. Like To put us in the spotlight, like during lockdown, obviously we couldn't play. There was like no tournament golf. So for him to put on all those events and using pretty much his own money and his own contacts to do that is really cool. And it, it kind of gave us like a leaping board into what, coming and the LPGA obviously joined with the LET and that's and the LPGA have done quite a lot for us already like the schedule was meant to be really really good this year and obviously with COVID and obviously it's not quite worked out but next year and everything I think it's definitely on the up from what it was a few years ago and it's not I mean Justin Rose has done and what what he's done and all the other guys have kind of all the like say Tommy Fleetwood and all that have kind of recognized that that we kind of deserve more than what we have. So it's kind of nice to see them all on social media backing us. And it's really nice. And to be able to play tournament golf in the Justin Rose Ladies series for people in England, that's really cool. Um, And for it to be on TV as well. Yeah, I think that's like the main thing was, you know, there was like, you guys do have, you know, a a fair amount of tournaments, but obviously prize money isn't as big. And also just general coverage like you you don't really get the highlight packages either so it was nice to kind of see that come into play and um yeah what would you you know you've been a pro now for it's been six years um 
that's I would it's fair to say that you're quite an experienced golfer. What are some of the things that you <laughs> what are some of the things that you you know you know now and that you've learned over these six years that you wish you could you know tell your younger self in 2014 you know fresh with the with the pro status um i have definitely learned a lot in these six years i think my first year i was kind of like really impatient i just wanted to like have a win really early on and i just i i didn't know what to expect and whether whether i could like compete with the people that i was playing against and you kind of realize that you you don't have to change your game you can just play your own game your own game is good enough and I kind of six years ago I was kind of like oh I need to improve this I need to improve that when really I really didn't I just needed to play my own game so if I could go back and say just be yourself and play play your own game you you would have done so much better I think I definitely would have appreciated that advice <laughs> and you know just the general you know when especially when you play a lot of amateur golf and you're playing elite amateur you know, for the young golfers out there right now, you know, making that decision to turn pro, how difficult was it for you? Was it something that you, you spent a lot of time thinking and pondering on? Or was it something that you, you kind of set out and you you knew it from that time that this was the right time to turn pro? Yeah, um, it was a difficult decision because obviously Q school, to play in Q school is so expensive. Like hotels, like the entry fee alone is really expensive. So I kind of wanted to make sure I picked the right year. And I, I think the year that I turned, I went to Q school, uh, the end of 2013, I think it was in December. Um, I just, I, I'd had a really good year up until that point. I represented England, I'd done well in all like the majors, like the British and the English amateur. And I kind of figured if I was ever going to do it, it would be now, because I was really consistent. And so I, I just knew that that was it. I, I was going to turn pro like the next year or whatever, 2014, I think it was. And I mean, I was desperate to kind of turn pro before then, but I knew if I just waited for the right moment and, and I did. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy with the decision that I made of turning pro then. And the transition from amateur to pro is quite um, challenging, even though it's not really that well documented, you know, in general kind of public. What was some of the most challenging things from making that transition from amateur to, to pro? I think all the traveling. Because when you're an amateur, if you represent England or whatever your nationality is, they do a lot for you, like or mm. like hotels, flights, like everything's done for you. You just have to turn up and play. And when you turn pro, you have to organize your entries, your flights, accommodation, anything that you need for entering that country. And you, it's like there's such a leap that you're like, oh, I don't know what to do unless you're traveling with other people and they can kind of help you. It's, it is a difficult thing to try and manage in your first year. Um, and, it's, and you don't really know anyone either. So when you, you've got your amateur scene, you know, everyone, everyone's friends and, um, you kind of, you don't know anyone on tour. So it's getting yeah. used to everyone yeah. and, just getting in with the right group of people to travel with I think that's some of the most challenging things and of course you're in a different country every week you're not used to playing five six weeks in a row in a different country every single week and now it, I'm kind of used to it I know what to expect but back then I wasn't really sure and what has it been like um I know now they've the 
I don't know if it's the RNA and, and the USGA as well. They've changed some of the rules regarding sponsorships for amateurs. Now you can you can be affiliated to a brand, I think, whereas before a couple of years ago or even a year ago, you couldn't really have, you know, a proper sponsorship deal as an amateur. But what was it like for you acquiring sponsors and, you know, dealing with, like you said, all the challenges that were usually taken care of by your your um your team you know england golf or, or or something like that compared to now you trying to get all these things together yourself it's really challenging especially in england just to find a sponsor because there are so many of us that play to quite a high level um and for the past five or so years i've kind of trying to do it all myself and it's you have to kind of know the right people as well you know yeah um to yeah. be able to get the sponsors and I wasn't really fortunate in that respect. But the last, and I signed with a management team like a year ago, and they've kind of helped me a bit. And so I think without them and without knowing the right people, it's really challenging to get anything. Um, and it's only through them that I've managed to get require any sponsors really at all. So um, I think you don't realize how difficult it is. I mean, a lot of people put on like golf days, say at the golf club, and the members will put a four ball in and that you'll use that money kind of to fund your year. And without things like that, I think for women, especially in golf, um, it would be really, it'd be almost impossible to play. Yeah. What What's the expenses? I mean, you know, if you can give a rough figure, because you, you play quite a bit. I mean, 2019, I think you played about 20 events over in, over that side. So what's your expenses like just to give people an idea? Because um, it's... It, it comes back to you know the men as well they they travel and they have those expenses as well but the thing is you on the lady side don't get the the high prized money to compensate and it does it's it's just you're still paying the same expenses so that's what makes it a bit crazy so if you can give people an idea as to you know what what the, that those expenses are like um i would say per tournament you're probably going to average on spending about 800 to a thousand pounds and that that's only because if we have like four of us sharing like an Air, like an Airbnb kind of house, that's only when it's that cheap. Um, and then you have like, you have flights and everything kind of mounts up. So yeah, a thousand a tournament is pretty much a standard. And you say if you play 20 tournaments, that's 20,000 a year. And yeah, I played and I also went over to South Africa and everything and everything it definitely mounts up so you've got to pretty much have a top 10 every single week to to break even in the tournaments in the women's game and when you look at the men and you see like a top 10 for them and they're in and in like you had zeros onto what we earn and it's like it's absolutely ridiculous people like oh you've made the cut well done like yeah well i've got to play really well on the last day to earn anything you know and that's something um you know working like the sunshine ladies for this year where i've worked kind of on the men's side as well and i was like okay i mean the money is it's not bad you know it's south africa obviously sponsors are also hard to come by now so it's uh definitely it was definitely eye-opening because like you said even though you make the cut you don't really you're not making anything on that so it's maybe good for like ranking points for instance or keeping your card but not necessarily good for like your bank accounts so it's just interesting. <laughs> it's just interesting to see that, um, and and it's crazy that, for instance, like this has been going on for so many years. Like, how do you manage? Like, that's that's crazy. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. You've got to be, you you can't really afford to buy yourself anything that nice unless you ever win, that's for sure. Um, Yeah, the prize money in South Africa is pretty good, actually. That's why I think a lot of people go over, like, they are, I mean, the sponsors do really good for us over there. And um, especially coming over from the UK, you kind of appreciate how much cheaper things are in South Africa, like food and accommodation. And it is a great place to go. Um, But yeah, you can't, you see all the guys driving all these expensive stuff. You don't see the women doing that really, unless you're a major winner on LPGA. (laughs) Do you think we, we, we slowly getting towards a place where sponsors are starting to see the value in women's golf. Cause I think that's where the, the gap has been like, because there is no coverage, you can't expect sponsors to, to cover the, or to contribute to the event. But now I I've seen, you know, LET as well, you know, the, the Rose lady series, like that's also picked up a bit. So this now opens up some doors for, for sponsors. Do you feel like that's a, a direction we're heading in right now? I think so. I think from when I first turned pro, the money has increased so much. Like everything, even on over in Europe, the money is so much better. Um, and the Justin Rose Lady Series, the price ones were really good. Um, it just shows you what can be achieved if the right people help or the right people say something. Um, and I think the more that was show, showcased on TV and publicized, the more sponsors will want to help. And that, I mean, everything will just improve from there. And I think now the LPGA is helping and they obviously, they know a lot of people that can help. And I think, yeah, you've got an event in Saudi going on and uh, like lots of high prize money events happening. Um, It's only good for women's golf. And the more that it happens and it becomes, the more high prize money events you have, it'll, it'll become common that that's the normal prize fund kind of thing. So hopefully in a few years, everything will be a lot better than what it was. Yeah, I think we, it's it's been good to see this, you know, and it's nice to see that it's happened over such a short time. Um, so th- I think that's it's really good that we we starting to see the women's game kind of getting the attention it deserves. So you like like you mentioned earlier, you've won twice, well on the the LET Access series. So that's like one of the bigger stages to win on. If you can describe the emotions of, you know, and also what you feel when you're in that position. So once you've won, what did you feel, you know, in your game was really on point? And then versus when, you know, you finished like top 10 or, you know, like what do you feel is missing when you don't have that magic? I think for me, I always hit a lot of fairways. So that's kind of like, that's always there. But for me... If I can, if I have a good like like feel on the greens, like pace wise and line wise, I always tend to have a good week or, or possibly win. And kind of like when I get in the zone on a final day, if puts drop, then I will have a really good day generally for me. And like, I think both times I won, I was putting really good. Like I hold a lot of putts, and some I have a I have a thing where I leave a lot of putts shorts a lot short a lot. So on the final day, if I'm more aggressive, try to be more aggressive and hold more putts. And that's kind of, it's definitely helped me cross the line a few times for sure. What would you say, you know, being a winner, how did that change? Did that change your approach? Like, you know, mentioning earlier where you were kind of talking about if you have to talk to yourself in 2014 and tell yourself not to change too much. When you did get these two wins, you know, you're part also, 
Um, did you change anything or did you kind of just say, this is, you know, what I'm doing is working. Let me stick, stick to that. Uh, the year before I got my first win, I think I qualified for the British Open and I played in that. And that for me was a real eye opener because obviously they're the best players in the world. And yeah. the fact that I qualified and I was kind of on the range with them and I realized they're no di- that's when I realized actually that they are no different to me, that I can play with them. And then literally two months later, I think I won in Sweden and I kind of just played my own game and I didn't change anything or worry about what anyone else is doing around me. And I kind of, th- I think that was one of the keys and that's what really helped me was just qualifying for the British Open and experiencing the whole thing. Yeah, especially from the, you know, over here in South Africa watching, like, for instance, the Sunshine Tour players and uh, when when there's a co-sanctioned event with, like, the European Tour and you look at when, they, when they're on the range, they're exactly the same in terms of ball striking quality. So it's just crazy to see how that mentality, you know, especially what you mentioned, once you realize, like, they, you know, I'm just as good as they are, how things kind of shift and change. How is it? How has it been for you? Um, you know, you mentioned you come over to South Africa. It's been three years now. You've been coming over to SA. Why come over? Obviously, the prize, the pri- the entry fees are, are much lower, and, and you know the pound is much stronger than the rand. But what else do you get from from coming over and playing the Sunshine Ladies Tour? Well, obviously, the winter in England is terrible. <laughs> it's muddy. It's sometimes snowing. It's like three to zero degrees pretty much every day. And so the weather, obviously, in South Africa is amazing pretty much all the time. So and to go out there and be able to play competitive golf on amazing golf courses, because you have some amazing courses over there um, with with great players is instead of being at home, just practicing and not really. I think obviously practicing is good. You, know, you need to practice, but you need to know what you're practicing is is working kind of thing. So to be able to go over there and play and know that you're kind of working on the right things during the winter I think that's really helped my game because like you can stand at home and beat balls on the range and with six layers on and gloves and everything but you don't know if that's kind of like the right thing when you're not under pressure trying to with a scorecard in your hand um and be, to be able to play all year round obviously for golf that's it's a big thing so I think that's one of the main reasons why I come over and I just really enjoy playing the sunshine tour as well ladies tour as well because everyone's really nice and it's set up good and it's it's like it's a great experience to be able to play on different like greens and grain and different types of grass that you have over there that we don't get over here so it really kind of helps your game all around what are um you've had a few you know really good finishes over here what are some of your favorite courses or you know events that you've played my favorite event is the dimension data for sure because that is that's a really special course and i think fancourt otaniqua yeah, uh, that's one of my favorite yeah. courses. Um, so that I mean, you get to play with the guys, and you have the whole tented village kind of thing. That's really cool. So I think that one, and then Royal Cape was always one of my favorite courses. So that's an event I always enjoyed playing over in Cape Town. But I'm happy to play anywhere if it's really sunny. So <laughs> I like them all. <laughs> I'm not surprised you you like Royal Cape, especially with the wind that howls over there must feel a little bit like home except for with, yeah. with a bit of sunshine, a bit of sunshine. <laughs> yeah a bit like home but with weather that we don't usually get yeah and the course looks it looks like a british course as well it's the type of course that we would have yeah. around near me so yeah that's probably why i do like that one yeah 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy um, that actually a lot, well, actually a few, you know, from the men's side, a lot of guys, uh, some of them that have ties here in South Africa will come over during your winter, like you said, because it's almost unplayable and they'll come over and station themselves maybe here because obviously like the, the, the Rand Pound conversion is, you know, it allows you to kind of come over for a longer time and not worry too much. Um, but yeah, I think our summer and the courses we do have really does open up um, to improvement. I mean, because there's so many challenges, like you said, greens, different greens and different layouts. What would you say um, is six years on tour? What have you changed with the way you prepare for, for tournaments? And also, like you mentioned, the off season, you know, how, how do you make sure that you're using your time you know, wisely and, and like you said, practicing on the things that need to be practiced on. Yeah. When I first went out on tour, I was kind of, I mean, I still am obsessed with practicing, but before I'd go to a tournament, I'd be obsessed with like doing so many hours a day on every area of the game. And now I've kind of realized you need to like play on the course more and yeah, you need to stand there and hit balls, but you need to kind of take that to the golf course. So I definitely play a lot more on the course now the last couple of years than what I used to and kind of not so much practicing, but kind of doing competitive practice. So like you would set out drills where it's trying to make it more realistic, like the golf course. Um, that's definitely changed. And I think I'm a lot more laid back going to tournaments now because I know that I can play with everyone and do well. Um, where well, I used to get quite stressed to think in my first year on tour, <laughs> but now I'm definitely, definitely more laid back for sure <laughs> than I used to be. What What is your team, um, or what does your team consist of? So, do you have, you know, for instance, a golf coach? Do you have someone that works on you with you mentally, or you know, what, what's what's your setup, and how do you feel that's changed over the the six year span? So yeah, I have a, a long game coach. Um, he actually coaches Tommy Fleetwood. It's the same guy. Um, and he was he was my coach through pretty much all of my amateur golf. And then I kind of stopped seeing him um, maybe four years ago. Um, and then three years ago, I kind of went, I went back to him. I thought, you know, no one knows my game better than him. And it's definitely paid off going back to see him. Um, he's definitely, in my opinion, one of the best coaches in the world. Um, and recently I've been seeing a, a personal trainer over here and I'm kind of working on the gym stuff and getting more power and speed. Um, so I think just after we finished lockdown over here, I started to do that. So hopefully that'll pay off soon. <laughs> Get a bit more distance and speed. <laughs> That'll be great. <laughs> but apart from that, I kind of do a lot of stuff myself. I mean, I have a putting coach, um, over here and it's kind of the guy that sees a lot of the European men's players um apart from that I do a lot of the stuff myself yeah you you're trying to pick up on the Bryson DeChambeau training <laughs> I don't know if I'll go that far but I definitely want a bit more speed and power I don't know if I could eat that much food if I'm honest yeah, yeah. no reading reading I mean they've covered it so much you read how many uh rashes of bacon and eggs he eats a day you kind of get <laughs> nauseated by it yeah i know i just don't, i mean hands off to him i don't know how how that's possible but he's he certainly he certainly set out to do something and he's definitely achieved it and obviously he's been very successful this year so it was paying off for yeah. him it'd just be interesting to see 
in five, six years from now, how it kind of pans out. But Yeah, it almost feels a little bit like Tiger in early 2000s when he started picking up a bit of mass and there was all that controversy. But, you know, Bryson being the scientist that he is, probably has, you know, thought of all these factors. Whereas Tiger was probably more just obsessed with getting better than he was. And at that time, he was like the greatest. What, um, you know, 2020 has been obviously uncertain and challenging for, for everyone. How has it been for you? Obviously, we having the, the Sunshine Ladies Tour and then literally within a week, everything kind of just changed. So how did that affect you and affect your game and how you, you know, prepared for what, you know, you didn't know was going to be the start come, I think it was like August or something. So how was that for you? It was really strange. As you said, literally, I came home and a week later, we went into lockdown in the UK. And I think, was it nine to 10 weeks that all golf courses were short, like you couldn't play golf. So I kind of tried to set up a net in my garden. I think one of the neighbors complained that it, that was too loud. The golf balls were making too much noise. I got told off once. Um, <laughs> and then a few of the girls from over here on the tour, we kind of set up a Zoom fitness we do that pretty much every other day. So that was fun. But And then when the courses opened, um, our practice facilities didn't open for another couple of months, I think it was. So we were allowed to play nine holes and then that was it. Like you had to leave the golf course kind of thing. So that was really unusual from not playing golf at all for like nine weeks to just going out onto the first tee without hitting a golf ball. <laughs> that was really interesting. Wasn't my best golf for a couple of weeks. Let's just say that. <laughs> Um, but now it's made me really appreciate all the time that I have there for sure. Now that we're pretty much golf wise back to normal and we're allowed to go and play in tournaments. Um, yeah, I think it was six months without a tournament, um, which is a really, really long time. Cause did I go to South Africa in the winter and then play all summer here? Yeah. <laughs> that was a long yeah. time for me. Um, so I didn't know what to expect when we first went back end of August, beginning of September. Um, and it kind of took any expectations off you because you're not expected to do that much. But, you know, it's been good. Yeah, playing playing nine holes or only being allowed to play nine holes without hitting a ball. By the time you, you warmed up, it's time to go home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You go down the last thing, oh, I think I've got it now. But then you don't know until like, the next, because you can't even play every day. I think it was every other day that you could play. Oh. So you had to wait a day and then go back. It was crazy. <laughs> What I mean, you you've recently got your tournament run started now on the LET axis. You you've played I think three events. How is it for you? Like you said, you you didn't have any expectations, but how was that for you? Especially during you know the the COVID you know precautions that you know are now placed on the the LET axis and LET. How has that been different for you? And have you had to adjust in any way to the, call it the bubble life? Yeah, the bubble life is interesting. Um, there is a lot of things that you can't do that you used to be able to. I think I think the first tournament back that we had uh, in Switzerland, that was like kind of like a new experience to everybody because we didn't know what to expect. Obviously, you have to like kind of share with the same person every week or by yourself like no more than two people. Um, you have to drive yourself. There's no transport. You're not allowed to do a lot of things anymore, <laughs> which, um, which is, which is, it is strange. And it definitely took uh, two tournaments of getting used to this bubble 
Um, but I think now it's become it's kind of becoming the new norm. You're kind of used to having to wear your face face mask everywhere, you know, get your temperature checked everywhere. Um sit in two meters like all the tables we have like kind of our own area in the hotels everyone has uh, to stay in the official hotel and that we have our own area for dinner um and all the tables are like two meters apart and like if anyone is too close like we'll move we'll move you apart kind of you know and you can get into trouble if you break the rules um and it is it is different but i'm kind of getting used to it now um you could, like it's not the same obviously so you, you see your friends and you can't walk over and say hey properly you kind of have to stand at a distance and be like oh hey how are you it is it's almost like you're being rude yeah it's almost <laughs> like, it's like waving from a distance yeah. you know but it's kind of like you're being rude but it's everyone's getting used to it now and it is fine everyone's just happy to be back playing i think for sure yeah the i think let is you know they've done a great job along with the lpga i think i'm not sure if let access also got those whoop the the bands how has that been have have you seen any improvements you know because it is a fitness band so it gives you a lot of feedback on recovery and those kind of things have you benefited from from seeing those numbers now uh yeah we've got the we've got the bands i mean they're good apart from the timelines but apart from that they're really good um it kind of helps you with like your sleep and like it, you can tell at what time you want to go to sleep and to be able to peak or perform, it tells you when you should go to bed, how long you should sleep for. And you have this like, you have like um, a recovery. So if you're in the green on recovery, then you can really push yourself hard that day. But if you're red or even yellow sometimes, um, you know, you kind of, you need to take it a bit easier that day and practice and preparation. So And I think from that, it is really good in respect that leading up to a tournament, if you're on the yellow a lot, you need to really be in the green before the tournament. So you kind of like on the practice days, you kind of work with what you have, like whether you need to take it a bit easier or what you should do that day. It is really good. Um, I think you need to wear it a long time for it to be, to re- to it really know you. And I think I've had it over a month now um so i'm i'm learning a lot more now than when i first wore it um but it is it's good and you have like a section on there that it's if your respiratory rate is much higher than what it normally is it means you could have covid or something so in that respect it's really good but four days before you get symptoms like it could tell you that you have covid so it is really good for that and I think I don't know which tournament it was on. I th- I don't know if it was LET or LETXs where there were actually um, some crowds, like there were spectators. I don't know if you played in that event. No, but I have seen the videos. Yes. What What was that like for you from the outside seeing that? Was it Was it almost like it felt like we were back to normal? Yeah, I think it was in the Czech Republic, and yeah. It was, yeah, because we've been, especially in access tournaments, like we're not allowed crowds or anything. So I, I, I don't know what happened, but um, I think from from what I've heard from what's going on, I, th- I think, it, I don't know, there might have been too many people there for what was going on. Nice. Um, I think from the safety of the player's point of view. But... I mean, it's good to see so many people watching, for sure, <laughs> that they're supporting women's goal. I think from the tournaments as a whole, everything's been really well looked after. 
Um, and they've not, anyone who shouldn't be there is not, is not been allowed to be there. So we have been looked after really well. Um, but, but it's good to see so many people watching. Yeah, I was a bit, I was a bit shocked and I was kind of surprised, but obviously some countries have doubts with, um, COVID better than others. And I mean, for instance, in New Zealand, I don't know if, if it's still the same now, but they were attending games like rugby games, full capacity. And I mean, that's hats off to them while we stuck in our houses. But, um, what are some of the things that you've now, obviously you said you're getting used to this whole new norm. What are some of the things that you've had to change and that you've, you know, made a conscious effort to, to work on during, you know, such a different way of preparing for events and, and for tournaments? Um, I've, I've kind of not tried to change anything that much in my golf and preparation as much as I can with, obviously, with the restrictions that we have. Um, it's just kind of made me more aware of, like, just being, you know, should really be socially distancing at tournaments to make sure you can play the next week and you pass the test the next week and every time we make a bunker we have to hand sanitize it that's kind of like become normal like every time we touch something we kind of sanitize our hands yeah. um i suppose that's a good thing <laughs> everyone's more hygienic <laughs> um but everything else is pretty much normal for me now um over here obviously traveling as well on planes like it, from when i've been on planes so far the companies have always had the middle seat unoccupied so everyone's kind of spread out so that's good um but everything everything's been fine recently so it's been okay and with your recent results were you do you think the whole idea of not having that pressure has you know helped you perform well in those those two events where you had some really great great finishes yeah yeah i've had well i think so because Obviously, there's no expectations going into this year. And I've had a lot of time to practice over the past six months. So I think that's also helped my golf. Um, and I've been playing a lot at home with like some of the good players at my golf club. So that, I mean, and they're really good players. So it's definitely helped my game scoring-wise to be able to go and play 18 holes with them where normally they'd be away playing golf and I'd normally be away playing golf. So we'd never get the chance to play. So that I think that's also really been beneficial to me and perhaps that's why i've been playing so well so Rach, you obviously said um you know you haven't played much well there wasn't any golf to be played tournament wise during lockdown how did you manage to keep competitive i know there's a, a hobby that you picked up on so yeah if you can tell us a little bit about that and how you managed to keep you know the competitive side going even though you you couldn't really do much yeah with lockdown like we couldn't you couldn't really practice golf like you couldn't you're only allowed out of the house once a day for like a walk so and there's only so much practice indoors you can do on like a putting green or putting mat kind of thing um like a, a homemade net so me and a couple of the other girls from the LET uh Laura Murray and Tia from Finland we kind of did this uh we played Fort. we downloaded Fortnite and we started playing Fortnite and um, so we had this Fortnite squad. So every single day, we'd kind of, every evening, we'd sit there and play Fortnite for a while as like a squad and see how many wins we can get. And it was just so exciting <laughs> because it does keep you competitive because um, obviously you're trying to win. And even amongst our squad, obviously you win as a squad. 
But if one person has loads of kills, like me and the other person will be trying to kill just as many people, you know? Um, so it, it was so much fun. And it was good to, like, like, because you could speak to them every day. And it was, it was just really good for, yes, for competitive and getting wins. And, yeah, even, like, if it's just you and one team left from Fortnite, um... It would just be you become really nervous, almost as nervous as what you used with golf because you really want to win. Like you've can't, you've, like everyone else is like gone out of the game, like they've been killed or whatever, and you're just trying to you you want to win, and um, so it's just really good for that, and you get to speak to catch up with everyone every day, and it yeah, even now lockdown's finished, we still play it <laughs> all the time, like yeah, we have our own squad like chat and like what time's everyone playing today this evening you know after golf yeah it was really good so I'm very grateful for Fortnite for getting us through lockdown otherwise I think it might have <laughs> dragged a bit more than what it did even though it did feel like it lasted a long time anyway and with you know renewing the end of 2020 in in some senses but for you what what are some of the things coming up for you events and and tournaments that that you might be playing in um, I'm off to Spain in just under two weeks. So we have two weeks in Spain and then that's it till 2021, I think. And so with, with that big gap, how are you looking at, are you just going to try and make the most of it and, and be as prepared as, as you can be? Yeah, it feels like I've just come from winter because I've had so much time to practice and then it's like off season again already. <laughs> so I'll just try and work on my game, I guess. Hopefully go to South Africa for some nice weather and you have Christmas, the Christmas break. So I think it will be fine. Um, it's just going to be really strange to play like five, six tournaments and then have winter again. Yeah. Especially after you've had like such such a busy, you know, two years, the past two years, you played so many events and for you now to be stuck playing like under under 10, I think, that's quite yeah. a quite a drastic change. Yeah. Like, yeah, because last year I had 10 tournaments in a row. And to have like 10 for a whole year this year is <laughs> such a change. So I'm used to playing pretty much every single week. Um, so I think it's, it's been a bit of a unstressful year this year for golf-wise. And when you when you play on the LET axis, there's, do you take a caddy? Do you have a caddy? No. No, we all pretty much do it ourselves. How is that, how is that for you? Um, obviously, like it's a trend also on like the challenge tour because firstly like expenses are so high so to have someone travel with you and pay someone you know every week is quite quite challenging how is that you know versus when for instance you come over to south africa and i know sometimes you don't really take a caddy either but do you feel like if you do have a caddy permanently that that might improve you know take some stress off of you I think so because if they're with you every single week, they kind of they learn your game, they know your game, they know what what you tend to do under pressure, what you can improve under pressure. So I think it would be a help, um, but we just don't have that luxury. Obviously, it would it's, as you said, it's expensive to take someone with you every week, and it would be really appreciated on like the really hilly courses that we play, say over in Switzerland or France, when <laughs> you have like a plus thirty uphill, <laughs> you're like, oh god, I've got to walk up there with my trolley. That's definitely appreciated. But I think also being by ourselves, we kind of, we, we learn a lot about our own games. Obviously, because we've got to do everything ourselves. Yardages, yeah. Yeah. raking bunkers, put clubs away. And 
So I think if we did eventually have full-time caddies, we'd really appreciate them for sure. <laughs> yeah, those your your recovery on your whoop after you know walking up that hill is going to be a bit low. <laughs> yeah, I might be in the red. Yeah, the strain <laughs> might be high. <laughs> and you know, just for for golfers, especially young golfers, you know, especially in South Africa and over there in Europe. Um, if you can give them a bit of advice as to, I don't want to say like the right tournaments and channels to go to, but if you can maybe give some advice based on your journey and, you know, the mini tours you've played and the mini events, like what, how, you know, what's the best way to kind of go about it just based on your experience? Based on my experience is just to throw yourself in the deep end, like play in as many tournaments as you can. Um, and that's kind of like where you learn about yourself because no one, like you can get so much advice from so people, you should do this, you should, you should play in this, you should do that. But unless you go out there and experience it, you that's where you learn about yourself, I feel. Uh, and just play as much as possible. Because I find the, the what helps me is the more I play, the more tournaments I have in a row, no matter where it is, what tour it's on. That's kind of like where you learn a lot of your golf. Um, and the, a lot of the mini tours are really good. Um, the setup just the same as let events and distance wise they're the same and and just to be out there playing competitive golf i think no matter where it is i think that was a very valuable experience yeah i think it also comes back to you know something you mentioned earlier about practicing and practicing you know for instance just smashing balls and hitting the perfect shot like 100 times versus going out onto a course and feeling that pressure is a bit different so it's kind of you know, throw yourself in in the deep end. I think that's pretty pretty valid. And just to close up, uh, just to close on, you know, with we mentioned sponsors and and those kind of things. How important is social media for you know a professional elite sports woman, man, sportsman? Um, how important is that that tool for for you to then you know leverage off? For instance, sponsors, you know, something that you can kind of say, listen, we may not be um, on TV, you know, every week like the men are, but, you know, I have this channel for potential, you know, advertising. Yeah, because the fact that we're not on TV, we have to use our social media is really important. That's like the main thing that sponsors are looking for from us. Um, So followers and especially Instagram now Instagram's mm. like one of the big things obviously it's photographs and that's where you kind of like can promote your sponsor um so to be really active on that and have a lot of followers um that's that's a good way of getting sponsors um and obviously you've got the hashtags and that's kind of like how I found that to get spot it's more easy to get sponsors that way for sure whereas the men they're active on social media, but I think the women have to be more active <laughs> yeah. just to be able yeah. to promote their sponsors, you know? Um, but I think it's now that social media is getting big, I think that's another reason why there's more interest in the women's game because it's one way to put ourselves out there when, when we're not on the TV. Yeah, I feel like that's um, definitely one of the things where even, you know, with the Sunshine Ladies Tour, like, because you know the events aren't broadcasted live you have to utilize the channels that you have to the best and you know social media is that that one thing that that does that um rach thanks so much for for making time um i appreciate you know you coming on and and chatting um 
if you know where can people follow you twitter instagram yeah instagram is just my name rachel goodall uh twitter is rachie golfer they're my two main social medias thanks so much and uh yeah it was great great chatting and catching up again yeah it's nice to be on here thank you for having me